Welcome to the Social Enterprise Podcast. Hi, I'm Rupert Schofield, President and CEO of Finca International. Today I'm hosting Alessandra Berg, the founder and CEO of Top Tier Impact. Alessandra, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Rupert. It's great to be here. Wonderful. Well, it's great to have you. So why don't you tell us a little about your organization and then maybe we'll explore your personal journey. You've already shared some details with me, like you've, uh, you're an Oxford grad, I guess. <laughs> um, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. But for now, just tell us what exactly does top tier impact do your organization absolutely rupert so top tier impact is the global network for impact investors entrepreneurs change makers some famous figures uh in uh, in impact like publicly vocal about building a better world through all the areas really of impact and obviously you know we lead with sustainability and climate climate technologies but we include everything ranging from agriculture and food, so um, renewable practices, alternative protein, all the way to mental health and psychedelics. And uh, we've built a global network across 45 countries. We're very present in the US, uh, in the UK and Europe, but we've been growing uh, across Asia as well, for instance. And so it's a global community. It's very active. Um, we have events that range from uh, something we're hosting a couple of weeks at the World Economic Forum in Davos, where we believe that especially in a place like that, positive innovators need to be represented with their voices, with their passion, with the kind of world that they actually envisage, right? Because we all ought to be part of this movement, especially if we're contributing to it actively. And then obviously we have online events and panels uh, that enable our members to connect and do business with each other, no matter where they're based around the world. And so, you know, at TTI, we see synergies like investments, talent exchange, partnerships happening every week. Um, and that's kind of why we exist, Rupert, because our mission is to accelerate the adoption of positive impact, both as the way of uh, how investments are made and how companies are being run. Now, obviously, that's the case for startups, but also for corporates and larger companies to align with impact and sustainability. That is something we do. Uh, we have a couple of other units under, under Top Tier Impact. Top Tier Impact has become a group. And uh, my journey, perhaps uh, we'll get to it in your next questions, but my journey has been very organic and uh, fast at the same time because I set up Top Tier Impact three years ago at this point, and uh, people typically believe we've been around for over a decade. Uh, there's 10 men behind it, right? And actually, the reality is a little bit different. And I think it's because um, the, the ecosystem, the impact ecosystem was really looking for something like this and looking for the kind of support that we're able to bring, um, you know, to this ecosystem. And so uh, it's been an interesting journey. Okay, wonderful. Well, let's get started on it. So where should we pick you up? Um, you're, you're born in Switzerland, but uh, you haven't lived there for a while, I guess. Um, right. But so where did you go from there to where? What did you do and so forth? Mm -hmm. 
But what I want to eventually get to is the genesis for this concept of top tier impact. How did you come to that as the intervention? I mean, you spoke about some of the problems in this world already and holy smokes, uh, talk about living in a difficult time. There's almost no problem we don't have right now. <laughs> it's incredible. Um, and I, like yourself, I'm sure, I believe that social enterprises have an enormous role to play in creating a better world. But time is, the clock is running down. You know, we have some problems that if they're kind of time sensitive and if we don't get really serious about solving them, uh, we're going to run out of time. And, uh, you know, we may be overtaken by some seriously scary events. But anyway, let's get back to you. So we're in Switzerland and now where? Right. Well, really at the core i'm a system thinker and uh you know I've, I've gone deep into system design governance design and that journey started as a child with just this this in, like just strong interest in understanding how the world works in understanding especially um you know you could say ultimately how our economy our exchanges as humans work um, and that, that was uh, coming very much alongside being an entrepreneur uh, to the core. I started my first business when I was 11 years old, and uh, I started by selling all my books and toys because at the time I thought, well, I'm an adult now, I'm 11, and uh, I just don't play with toys anymore. And it's rather than having them in our basement, it's time to make a statement and, uh, and actually sell them. And so uh, that was really like the start of, uh, you know, having my stand and uh, uh, being putting myself out there, training some friends to support me with that. Um, and it hasn't stopped since. Now, I left Switzerland during my studies. I went to Oxford University in the UK, and um, that got me to really dive deeper into, I guess, the more classic startup scene, because I was more of a makeshift entrepreneur with like just this, uh, this, uh, um, kind of like natural tendency, but I got much more into technology also uh, thanks to my studies. And I got into, um, like I said, the uh, system design side of things academically. And so I've always kind of looked at things at the intersection of like innovation, technology-driven innovation for building a better planet and that kind of system thinking that is horizontal by nature. So what I mean by that is rather than saying, okay, there's this vertical within renewable energy and we're building a business here, it would be like, well, how do we make sure that renewable energy and all these other industries and then all the stakeholders from the policymakers to the investors to the corporates are moving in a certain direction, right? Are moving in a direction that brings positive impact um, to the core of how we operate, because the way that, you know, maybe to bridge the gap to how I got to top tier impact, I got to top tier impact because I had a gap. My, my background after my studies became both as an um, investor and entrepreneur. And I had a gap of a few months after a very long time in my career, not having much time off. And so I kind of asked myself, what can I do on the critical path of where we are going as a society, as it, 
what can I do that brings a positive contribution and that obviously aligns with my skills and with my passions. And so that's like naturally led me to think again about how the whole system works. And um, I had been active without necessarily knowing it in uh, impact investing because several of the areas where I had been active as an angel investor actually were with an impact, but I never looked at it from that perspective, right? I never looked at it as under this impact umbrella. So the second I did that, right, the second I became more aware of like, oh, okay, you call it impact investing, right? So tell me what's the whole thing about, right? And how do you define it? Who's in it? So the more I looked at it, the more I was like, wow, this is just a much better paradigm for our economy and our society. And now this was pre-COVID, this was in 2018 and then 2019. But, you know, Rupert, at the time, it was already quite clear that uh, we had quite a few substantial challenges uh, and, uh, you know, sustainability and climate obviously being one of them. But I would say in a more profound way, in the way that our economy has been working for a very long time and in the way that inequality is so deeply present still in our society. And so I was asking myself these questions and then I was looking at the impact space and the more I looked at it, the more I thought amazing. But at the same time, the more I looked at it, the more I thought, wow, we can make this thing work so much better. We can create so many more synergies and connect the dots. I think another thing that comes natural for me is actually that. And so I've always had really good networks and um, different types of people, different types of talent present uh, in my own networks. And so I noticed how there was a little bit of a disconnect, right, in how perhaps someone would be building uh, with a social impact mission, um, a venture or an initiative or a fund that would really benefit from seeing what their, so to say, neighbor or like-minded friend in another geography or in another part of the city or in another country or wherever um, is building as well, right? Because, um, because they could really do these one plus one equals three. And so I was observing that a lot and, and I, was, I was seeing like the room for, for improving this. And so, you know, I couldn't unsee it and I couldn't just walk away because it felt too important. And in the beginning, I thought, you know what, I'm just gonna do a personal contribution, make my own contribution to this while I have my months off. And then I'll figure out what I'm doing next. And um, what I did was actually bringing together some people in the impact space, especially impact investors, because I had that background and I had that network um, to share knowledge, share investment opportunities. And it kind of took a whole life of its own from there. And uh, like I said, we have our network for members, we have other businesses under TTI that all take this view of like accelerating the growth of the space as a whole. We even have the Global Impact Awards that you might have seen that went re really viral last year when we launched them. Uh, we are announcing the finalists to our awards at uh, yeah, the WEF in Davos uh, later this month. And so, you know, the beginning was, um, was really informal. Um, and I think that, you know, the typical validation you get an, as an entrepreneur is like, is this needed? Well, then yes. And then it takes, it takes a life of its own. So really, you know, to answer your question, this is with a couple of specific stops, how, uh, you know, things went from being in Switzerland to uh, being in London, spotting this gap in impact, wanting to contribute 
And then ultimately building a team that is across different time zones and remote. I am myself here in Asia at the moment. Um, and, you know, we can say that we were early adopters of remote working. came. <laughs> So we were very glad that the rest of the world adjusted to it because, uh, yeah, it enables for um, an efficient way of doing business. Also, obviously, you can't replace meeting and feeling people in person, um, but it really, you know, I would say enabled and accelerated a lot of things as well. Wow, that's uh, that's a. I'm already kind of trying to catch my breath. That's been a pretty rapid journey. You know, I mean, because so many entrepreneurs do start out in what you would probably refer to as a vertical. Like in the case of my company, we started out in finance and now we've kind of uh, pivoted over to social enterprises in other sectors like healthcare and energy and agriculture. Uh, but the truth, uh, you, you mentioned a great big truth, which is that we need to be connected. We need to be collaborating. That's part of what I think is the fact that we have this limited amount of time to get some of these things right. We're just, the world is not going to let us just kind of take our time, you know, and when we get around to this or by, you know, if we can raise enough money, we can do this and everything and all these, solve these other constraints. But we, we need, I believe, to collaborate as never before and to find the synergies, as you say, connect the dots so that together we can accomplish what we need to accomplish in the time that's remaining to us. And um, so I, uh, I really, uh, I commend you for taking on what I would see as a very ambitious um, enterprise here that you've created and, uh, but a very, I think probably occupying an important space in this effort. So tell me, um, how, how do you attract the right people to your company, the, you know, that have the skill sets that you need to, uh, uh, to grow this and scale it and identify the problems? And of course, more important than anything, begin to solve them and to earn your uh, credibility, so to speak, like, oh, wow, this is, this is a really uh, organization that is really having an impact and it's well run and it's accomplishing stuff and uh, we need to know more about it and we need to maybe even get involved with it. Absolutely. And um, the point about attracting here is that it happens in a very natural way for us. The right people find us and they find us in terms of applying to join the top tier impact community. They find us in terms of uh, being on our team as well. Um, you know, we've been hiring, for example, for ops right now. And uh, it kind of comes our way, right? Like the right people feel it, come across it, resonate with it. 
Um, and to sort of bridge it to what you were talking before about being collaborative, Rupert, because I really believe that that is part of our next evolution. You know, our next evolution as a species that is so advanced, building a whole civilization out of this natural kingdom that we're coming out from. Frankly, the next step is to really embrace radical collaboration to a whole new level because it makes us more efficient and it's a win-win for everybody. It's just that we're still trapped in our economy. We're still trapped in these prisoner dilemmas, as we call them in economics. And, uh, you know, in game theory about these, uh, this dilemma of, well, if I don't chop down wood in the forest, like, you know, company two and company one, company two is going to chop down wood. So I might as well do it, even though I know in the medium to long term, it's bad for me. It's bad for them. It's bad for everybody. Right. And so we have this happening in our economy, like across every sector and every dynamic. And I think it takes individual. That's why the impact space is just so enjoyable to be in, right? Like social entrepreneurs embrace different values, right? A lot of social entrepreneurs, like they just get it. And so I think being collaborative and uh, uh, I think that, you know, the, the values that I was describing before, or rather the way that the right people find us, um, I think it's actually something that in our society, again, to go to a next level of abstraction is, um, uh, there's these uh, these polarities, right? Or these yin and yang, or these feminine and masculine, or this you know black and white, right? There's this, and and I don't mean that in a racial way. I just mean like the contrast, right? Like the the sort of approach of uh, uh, letting things come to us versus seeking things, right? There is this balance, and I think that you know the feminine masculine uh, comparison is interesting because collaboration and attracting as opposed to uh, seeking and exerting influence, like those are feminine values. And I think that we need more balance, just like we need more gender diversity, where we need more balance in terms of the approaches that we have in the way we build our businesses and in the way that we interact within our economy. And so I see a lot of potential for this to happen more and more within the impact space because the fundamental values of the entrepreneurs, like if I look at the investors and the entrepreneurs in the top tier impact community, their values are strong, right? Like they're not just building a better world in terms of uh, the vertical they choose to focus on and, uh, and uh, you know, add value to, but they fundamentally as humans, like believe in showing up in a certain way. And so, you know, I kind of like took a few detours here, but I uh, just wanted to share a few reflections on that. Yeah, no, I think that's uh, that's spot on, Alessandra. Um, I mean, the values are a huge part of uh, what will either attract people to your cause and your mission or drive them away. I mean, because let's face it, we uh, we have a lot of wonderful people in the world, uh, but we also have some pretty scary people too who who uh who I, and i almost feel at times this is maybe the novelist in me i'm i do some uh i've written some novels and i i often find that you know the big part of writing a novel is to figure out how to create characters 
that have strong value systems, but which are in conflict. And so mm -hmm. the reader's thinking, ooh, who's going to win in this book? <laughs> you know, that's where you want to get to. But there are people in this world who seem like uh, if they get the upper hand, they may destroy, as, as you mentioned, forests or whatever, natural resources and so forth. And so it, it almost feels at times like we're in a race to see who is going to prevail in this. You know, mm -hmm. is it going to be the people with the good values, the positive values, or the people that are just out for themselves? and uh, are attracting all the wrong kinds of people and, and so forth. But um, that, that maybe brings me to another point. How do you, because uh, one problem I have always had is my people that are on my team of, you know, sometimes they, they tell me, Rupert, look, we we can't do all this. You're throwing too much stuff at us. We don't have the bandwidth for it and so forth. Let's, uh, we're trying to do too much. And so we're not going to be able to accomplish uh, maybe one important thing that's really going to help us create a sustainable business, viable and so forth. Have you encountered that kind of problem? Like some of your colleagues are maybe saying, hey, Alessandra, we're we're taking on too much. We got to kind of narrow the bandwidth here and make sure we succeed on these things that we're working on right now. It's such a good reflection uh, for me to have right now, Rupert, because I think that early on in my career, that was very real. And uh, I didn't have the awareness yet of kind of like taking these into account in an ongoing way and really reflect about it. And I think that, you know, if I, if I look at where we are at, I would say um, I've gotten much better at it. I constantly check in sort of like both myself, both assessing people, like asking team members, like where they're at in terms of uh, uh, the load of work. I mean, ultimately it does also take people to say it, like what you mentioned actually is very healthy, right? People just voicing their opinions, voicing where they're at, like you want like a culture where there is this transparency and directness. I think that's really core. So per se, that is a good indicator, right? Because it prevents it from getting to a point where someone might be exhausted uh, and then you've got a whole different situation at hand. Um, so I would say that all in all, we do maintain a balance, but at the same time, our balance is very active as well. And so we definitely have periods where we're like, like right now is a period like that because we're preparing for one of our in-person events, um, very big conference, lots of our investors and members coming. And so we're just um, uh, seeing that all hands are on deck and the team is very busy. Um, with that said, again, it does feel like it's still, with, it's still within balance or rather it's understood that it's a specific push. And so, you know, to kind of um, counteract that, like already thinking, you know, I've already thought, well, next month, right, there's got to be buffer. Uh, some people are going to be on holiday, like it's all good. Um, but it's, it's a continuous balance. Uh, and I think that the, the sort of the checking in to see, well, now we have too many balls up in the air or there are too many things going on. Like that also is a continuous process, right? Because when you're building an enterprise from scratch, when you're innovating, 
that's kind of how it's happening, right? It's happening because you're spotting opportunities, you're going in certain directions. And so then you continuously balance it out for, right, this is interesting. Is it sort of like core or priority to where we're going? And uh, you continuously adjust with that. When you, when you look out at the global landscape, who do you see as the leaders right now in things like social enterprise or that are seriously making a big difference, a positive impact? They seem to be very creative, innovative people, and they've already demonstrated their uh that they're a positive force for change and we somehow need to make sure they remain at the forefront of our efforts because they're they're doing the right stuff and they're not you know they're not trying to pull us in the wrong direction mm, yeah it's a good question because i see so many people actually contributing in a positive way that it kind of becomes tough to pick specific ones. But what I will say that I observe overall as a trend here is that in the last two, three years, the investment as opposed to let's say philanthropy side of impact, right? Of social investing has accelerated in a way where I think that we can't really compare it to what was before in the sense that, um, I think there was always a little bit of a um, uh, minimization of what impact investing would be about um, and um, a, a little bit of sort of these, uh, oh, okay, ESG, social responsibility. Yeah, that's like a nice add-on. Yeah, that's kind of like a good box to check. And now it's becoming core, right? And so what, what I am seeing, you know, when, when I think who are the people who are living in a positive way, actually is that there are more and more change makers that are playing a role in taking these into the mainstream, right? And they're no longer just at the fringes or in a CSR department of a company. Uh, maybe they're on the board, maybe they're um, executives, maybe they're investors of big funds that make a commitment to this. And so what I am seeing that is encouraging is these change makers like coming up in really relevant places that can sort of like, you know, tilt the scale, right? Like help us tilt the paradigm. So um, I'm not sure if in your organization, but I, I know that uh, a lot of investment companies that I have uh, been uh, familiar with and sometimes even associated with, they feel a, uh, that there is a strong trade-off between generating a financial return on their investments, like kind of like Wall Street, you might say, is basically 100% focused on that aspect of investing and maybe 1% on you know, ESG and other stuff like that. Maybe that's a very cynical point of view, but I, I have seen this tension in, even, in, even in the impact uh, investors who claim to be number one interested in the social impact. But when things go get difficult and maybe the 
for whatever reason, it could be an outside crisis that the company is uh, is facing, or some some natural event, an earthquake, or whatever. Um, but their their financial returns begin to suffer, and all of a sudden they take precedence. And it's not like, okay, for, and I, actually I have had, believe it or not, in Finca, some of my investors say, Rupert, this is not the time for us to care about your social mission. You know, we're not interested in that. You need to make more money. Does that sound familiar to you or, or right. is that not a, uh, is that not a problem you guys? Of do? course, there is this eternal question and uh, I have a lot to say uh, to this. Now, to step back before we go into the details, I think that it all comes down to incentives. And so the system thinker in me says, well, what is the economic system incentivized to do, right? And so I'll give you an example. Right now with venture capital funds, they're starting to be venture capital funds that want to put impact in front of VC fund because it also helps them with fundraising that are actually going the extra mile and say, or, you know, don't want to be cynical with saying that, but we definitely see that part as well. And it's fine as long as things are done properly, which is what I'm getting to, because what we are seeing some of them doing is to truly align their incentives with impact. What does that mean? That means you're not just saying, oh, I'm an impact focused or ESG focused fund. And it's just words at the end of the day, or maybe some frameworks that you put in place, but actually your returns and your carry depends on delivering a certain measurable quantifiable impact, right? And if you don't, then that's different. And so I think ultimately the incentives part of the picture here is important because otherwise we're still talking in a marketing circle. And so another part of that is uh, regulation. Because, uh, you know, we have a consulting business that works with large publicly listed companies on climate risk scenario planning and ESG strategy. And we are as busy as it gets. In fact, we've just built a SaaS product to deliver exactly what our clients need in a more scalable way, because we realize that the, the market right now is responding so much because obviously it's become mandatory. It's become mandatory in the UK in other countries like Switzerland and across the rest of Europe, even the SEC in the US released these guidelines about climate disclosure that are very heavy, very specific, and are gonna kick in for, uh, for the public markets, right? And so everybody's kind of preparing to do this work properly because it's no longer just marketing, right? It's something that needs to be done, whether it's to align incentives and show that uh, you're, you're part of uh, this paradigm for real, whether it's because regulation is asking it, whether it's values. Um, and then another part of the, your question now is very different. And this is about technology and maturity of technologies. Because if you take as an example, the renewables and clean tech space, in the thousands, there was this boom in Silicon Valley where there were plenty of clean tech funds, green funds, and uh, they pretty much all had to shut down because at the time the technology was very expensive, grant driven, and so the economic profile, the return profile didn't make sense. Now we're talking about, you know, today a very different story because that technology has matured. It's cheaper than ever. It's more advanced than ever. 
And uh, from a financial perspective, it makes so much sense. And so there are a lot of verticals by now in impact, climate, sustainability, social that are actually very good investment opportunities, some of the biggest investment opportunities of the decade. However, there is an important part in this impact picture that needs to be taken into account because not everything is like high financial returns and high impact returns, right? Those are actually the ones that everybody chases in the market right now. And there is this concept I like of additionality. Additionality in impact investing means does your dollar that you're investing go into an impact project that otherwise might not make it through, but has a big impact to deliver? And so something that is high returns and uh, sorry, high financial returns and high impact returns doesn't really need that extra dollar because all the funds that are even not impact want to invest in there anyway, right? So I think that what it comes down to for investors, it's number one thinking of like, where, where are they playing in that matrix, right? Um, of high and low, right? Uh, within the investment ecosystem, what impact returns are they targeting? What financial returns they are targeting? Um, and I think that the gaps for uh, investors to still have um, uh, high returns, high financial returns and high impact returns, but with an additionality that changes the game because it goes to companies that otherwise wouldn't get it. I think that comes from unique talent um, as investors in the market. And so those are gaps where, you know, either you understand the technology better than everybody and you see something that nobody else sees. And uh, I come across this a lot, you know, at Top Tier Impact, we have some phenomenal stories of technologies and investments that have been uncovered and are game-changing from an impact and financial perspective. Uh, but it really took that specific person that understood it and everybody else thought it was crazy. And I think in the social space, it's similar actually, because you can often find like a formula that makes sense. But when it's not, then I think it comes down to the investors to number one, align their incentives and number two, be clear on what they're targeting, right? Because out there, there is space for everything. And there are some projects that are in extremely high impact, but the, sorry, the impact returns, but the financial returns profile is lower, is different uh, or whatever else. Then there is obviously the nonprofit space as well. We are active with uh, you know, impact for profit. And so that's what I can speak for in terms of like these matrix I'm describing. Um, but yeah, so I have a lot to say on this topic. I will stop here. Uh, but to summarize it, I think it comes down to structuring the right incentives so that people actually don't just talk the talk, but walk the walk. And number two, to be clear on where certain innovations, social impact innovations sit within these metrics of impact and uh, financial sides. Mm. Yeah, well, actually, um, you're you're really intriguing me, Alessandra, and I think probably our listeners would also be interested to hear from you a a specific example of one of these impact investments that has been made, uh, where there really is a game-changing element where there's the social return, there's some financial return, but there's also this third, I call it the third reason for making this investment, because 
it has the potential to really change the game and really put the whole vertical on a more positive uh, path through mm -hmm. that innovation. Can you give us an example of, of one of those? Yeah. There is a recent one, so I can't mention the specificities or the company, but it's in the energy space. And uh, it's absolutely game-changing in terms of this technology being zero CO2 emissions and cheaper than alternative sources or to the classic sources, right? It would be a substantial decreasing cost. And bear in mind, you know, when you said we have all the problems in the world right now, Energy is certainly one of them, right? We all know what's been happening to energy prices. We all, to some degree and some extent, understand energy-based wars and energy control interests um, and how intense that gets from a geopolitical perspective. And so we are seeing some technologies that, uh, like in this example here, are able to cut down the cost, right? Uh, which is sort of like priority number one um, and obviously delivers returns, but also just don't emit uh, CO2 in the way that uh, what, what we have today does. Uh, and so what I have seen in there has been months and months of due diligence uh, for this kind of moonshot technology to understand. And then, once understanding it, uh, kind of diving deep into how to commercialize it and really being sort of, I would say, sober and objective about, again, you know, the current economic system and how incentives are in there and what it would take uh, to bring this out there. So that's an example. Wow, thank you so much. That's, that's hugely helpful, Alessandra. And um, I'm, I'm sure our listeners will be intrigued and that probably some of them, like me, they've got their checkbook out already, hoping that you know, they can figure out what one we're talking about. But seriously, another perspective I'd love to hear from you because of your, I think you're kind of uniquely positioned maybe to, to know this, but a personal hypothesis of mine has been that when I compare where the world was when I was a Peace Corps volunteer in the highlands of Guatemala trying to help farmers grow rice and beans, not rice, uh, sorry, maize and beans, and just feed their families and maybe have a little extra to pay other expenses like education and health. Um, it seemed to me that compared to where we are today, we really have pretty much all the tools we need to attack world poverty on a grand scale and in a systematic way. Would, would you concur with that? Or do you think there's still some missing pieces that we just don't have? And so we, we, we have an excuse to still coexist with severe poverty, you know? Or, or do you think we actually do have the tools and if we could mobilize the financing and m mobilize, I would say, the political will to focus on this, we really could end world poverty 
probably in a matter of years versus centuries or decades. Yes, we do have the tools. We do have the tools and it mostly comes down to human coordination to get this mobilization to happen. Obviously technological advances always help and can further accelerate that, but we do have what's needed as of today. Good. Well, I'm glad glad to hear you say that uh, because I've I've believed that for some time now. And uh, but let let's get to the uh, to the political dimension of this. Do you are you as optimistic that we're going to eventually get these uh, political elements under control and you know not have to deal with uh, an impending prospect of a third world war that's just going to smash everything to pieces and end all the project, all the progress we've made on some of these issues? I think there are different parts to the question and to looking at this, uh, purely looking at politics and how politics work today at least in the West, um, it's tough to really reform the, the current system to the core. I think that what is encouraging is to see, so you know, let, let's call it the public sector right here. And so to see that in the private sector, technologies like distributed systems, blockchain technology, right, the whole web through space, which is ultimately highly democratizing, right? Because it says, no, there is no one leader, one politician, one party, whatever, making the decisions. It's, it's the group, it's the collective, it's a collective intelligence, actually. And I think that's how, you know, we've seen over millions of years or rather studied how nature has developed. Nature is a collective intelligence as well. And it develops as ecosystem, actually, not as a, a single species, right? The way that we evolve is as an ecosystem. And so we've taken this view of like this single species uh, evolution based on Darwin, based on what's been put out there, but actually it's been proven that it's an ecosystem based evolution. And so, you know, I think that seeing these technologies emerge is highly encouraging from a wider perspective, political perspective, because again, they go to the core of restructuring the systems we operate through. And I think that the incentives right now in, um, in politics, unfortunately, do not optimally align for collective value maximization, as I like to call it. Now, collective maximizing for the collective is always the most efficient thing to do. Like we were saying before, right? With the example of like, well, if I don't chop down wood, uh, then that other company is gonna do it, so I might as well, right? And so that's the case. Um, in the public sector to a certain extent where uh, whether it's the cycles of re-elections, whether it's like the structure of how things work, there's a, there's a lot to be done to improve that. Um, and uh, it's tough to imagine that it just gets sorted with like a few smart moves, you know, it takes, it takes a lot. Now, in terms of geopolitical tensions, like that is a, a different discussion. But again, I think that these dynamics are at play as well, right? I mean, there is this example about the Cold War being a prisoner dilemma where it's like, well, it's an arms race where we, you know, one side like the, uh, you know, the, the, the West side says, well, we need to prepare because 
the east side is preparing as well. And so we just need to be ready, right? And so you're in a prisoner dilemma again, because it's, it's kind of saying, well, if we are not prepared, then they're going to be prepared, then they might do something. So we have to prepare as well. And then you kind of get into a dynamic, right? And I think we need to transcend these dynamics and transcending these dynamics is a big deal because it's not just about technologies like Web3, distributed systems, blockchain technology. It's also, you know, ultimately a question of consciousness, right? And where we are back to the values that we were talking about before. What are we operating out from, uh, from a value perspective? So there are a lot of things to consider for this question. Yes, well, listen, uh, Alessandra, I would, uh, you know, we're kind of starting to run short of time here now, but I don't want to leave something important unsaid or undiscussed. What, what haven't we talked about uh, here today that you, you'd really like to share with our audience? Hmm. It's a good question. Um, and uh, perhaps what comes to mind, because uh, I'm about to uh, host and put together a TV series on all things uh, positive impact uh, and innovation. And one thing that comes to mind that really resonates with me is that ultimately for all of us, it's about switching into our own personal and subjective contribution to uh, you know, a positive paradigm in our own unique ways because we still have so much of these top-down, there is one good solution and then there's the other ones are bad solutions. And I think reality is like hundreds of different shades of color, right? It's not, it's not that black and white at all. And so I think for all of us to actually give ourselves some grace, right? And some... Uh, some kind of patience as well in, you know what, you don't need to solve all the problems out there because that takes a lot, it takes a whole village, but really tuning into the unique skills, the passion uh, and the angles that each of us have and that makes us, you know, satisfies us ultimately, right? Because I think that in a society that allows for people to follow that, right? Which unfortunately is not quite how our societies are structured today, but in a societies where as many of us as possible opt into saying, you know what, I am, you know, creating this little utopia for myself. I am creating this, uh, um, you know, this plan, this direction, this way of living. The more each one of us does that, like little light bulbs, right? the more these light bulbs switch on and paint a beautiful picture and eventually kind of like, you know, shine light to where there's been darkness, right? And there's been all these problems, right? And sort of like turn them smaller or more irrelevant, right? Because all of us or as many of us as possible leading by example offers frankly inspiration, but more than inspiration, common sense <laughs> to uh, a lot of the, the pointless dynamics that we're still witnessing. And so, you know, that ultimately is about personal power and empowerment for every individual to know uh, that within their own sphere is more than enough to be active and it's more than enough to show up like that. That's, that's an inspiring thought. And actually, you took the word right out of my mouth. I was about to bring up that empowerment. When one thing we discovered at Finca 
uh, in the early days was that if you can bring your get your ego under control you know like oh i'm gonna save the world i'm gonna accomplish mm -hmm. this and that and you can you can make room for the people with the problem to solve the problem then mm -hmm. that that's going to work out better because the people that have the problem have the biggest incentive you talked about that as well they have the biggest incentive to solve it right. let's face it and if, so if you can focus your efforts on putting the tools in their hands and the financial resources in their hands then you're probably going to get to a more satisfactory result well mm -hmm. listen uh, that's it for today it's been a pleasure chatting with alisan we're the founder and ceo of top tier impact i'm sure we're going to be hearing a lot more about your company in the future as always i'd like to hear from you our listeners or you can find me on twitter at rupert schofield and you can listen to more of my podcasts online at www.socentpodcast.org. You can also follow my organization, Think International, on Twitter at F-I-N-C-A or at www.finca.org. If you're an entrepreneur looking to attract investment to an early stage social enterprise, I encourage you to also visit www.fincaventures.com. Alessandra, what's the best way for people to follow you and top tier impact online? Absolutely. So online we're at www.toptierimpact.com. And uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, Alessa Berg. You can find me on Instagram as well at Alessa Berg. Um, and I would say that those are, yeah, the best ways to find us. You can also see at toptierimpact.com under network or application, how you can apply to join the network of TTI. Okay, splendid. Thank you so much, Alessandra, and uh, wish you the best of success. Uh, in, uh, I know we're going to be hearing more about you in the future.